In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I hope everybody is having a beautiful day. I hope that everybody understands that you have a part to play in this world we're living. I hope everybody understands that if you take some time to think about who you are, your authentic self, that you can be an example for others. And I I really hope everyone gets the opportunity to, to become the best version of themselves. I got a great guest for you today, the one and only Maria Yoon Bronikova. We're going to talk about partnerships and development, relationships, psychedelic, project growth, and so much more. Before we start diving into these incredible topics today, I want to give Maria an opportunity to maybe fill in some background and give herself a better introduction than the one I gave. That was perfect introduction. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. It's good to see you and uh, good to see all the listeners and viewers. I hope everyone will enjoy the conversation as much as I'm truly enjoying it now. Um, I have been doing partnerships and communications for quite some time before I became, you know, mother and wife and staying at home mother and after. And after I relaunched my career four years ago, I went to mental health. I also have a um, certification in addiction counseling. So I started in addiction counseling field, gradually moved into mental health space. Uh, co-founded uh, two mental health startups, more behavioral health, behavioral health, and um, moved into the psychedelic ecosystem some time ago. Has been a big fan of people working in the space. Big mission, big visions. Have a lot of hope for psychedelics being properly and ethically mainstreamed into the culture that we all live in. It's a great point. And I, I'm ex- it makes me happy to see how much time you've spent in the world of mental health. And I'm happy to see your background and behavior 
because so much of what we're going through today seems like an epidemic. And often we hear this word of like a mental health epidemic. Do you think that's the but, right terminology to explain what's happening? Yes, absolutely. Because it's based on science and numbers, you know. If you see the word epidemic, the definition of it, and actual numbers of how many mental health issues we're having a society diagnosed, undiagnosed, you know, cross um, involving other things like, uh, I don't know, criminal rates and a lot of other societal uh, difficulties, let's say that, uh, you will see that, yes, it is. I, I truly believe it is an epidemic. Yeah. You know, and I, and I do think that it will get only worse, unfortunately. Mm. Why, why do you think it'll get worse? Um, well, if we're not talking about psychiatry, which is a separate field, mm -hmm. right? Like serious mental issues and disorders, right. health disorders, and talking about only what we truly think when we say mental health and behavioral health, such as major depressive disorder, um, addictions and anxiety, um, treatment resistant depression, and, and things in that, you know, space. Um, then we see that there is really not many effective tools to treat what has been diagnosed. Because according to the medical model, we need to diagnose the, the issue and the problem and then you know treat it, right? Cure it potentially. Mm -hmm. However, SSRIs, we all know that it's not the answer. And, and overall, you know. We tend to be over medicalized, and and I mean I can go on, mm. but I think I made the point. No, <laughs> not yeah. not enough particular treatment models. Talk therapy, absolutely brilliantly. Yes, I think each one should have a therapist with him. You know, since he's ten years old, mm -hmm. and just through life. But we can't afford it. We don't have. You know, insurance models built for it, uh, medical models built for it. We are not ready society. It's still stigmatized again to the point that we've made both uh, before the start of the stream um, podcast. Um, there is stigma, right? Yeah. We live in a bubble here, you know, in the West, in California, in the area. But if you look at the world overall, it's not as much you know as popularized and uh, people are not as much aware of all the things that we're talking about you know 24 7 here yeah it's a great point and you have a you know coming from europe and speaking so many different languages i think you have just a unique three. point of view just three just <laughs> that's three. a lot i think i think it i think it gives you a unique way to not only see the world but to relate to other people. And I think that that's one of the problems with mental illness is a problem to relate. And that translates into a problem with relationships. And if you look mm -hmm. at us in the West, we have a lot of problems relating to authority. We have a lot of problems relating to family. We have a lot of problems relating to money. Do you think it's, how do we weave in this problem of unrelatableness? Like, do you think psychedelics can help us do that? Absolutely, yes. That's my big hope, that the medicine will do its work no matter what. Right. Because this is what I can stand about. I mean, not can stand, it too, <laughs> sounds too harsh, but what really upsets me. And I've seen it, you know, 
almost everywhere. There is no unity. You know, mm. the ecosystem is so complicated, very complicated. And it's beautiful. It's, it's like a fractal, yeah. you know, yes. or Venn yes. diagram where you have um, researchers, academics, um, VCs, startup founders, um, people from, you know, other industries, veterans, microdosing community. Mm -hmm. And as an umbrella, there is that stigma over everything that says psychedelics i mean it's getting better it's getting better absolutely and that's why i have a hope but it's still there yeah so psychedelic unity yeah i'm, I'm like uh, really thinking sorry i just said like <laughs> i need to put the dollar in your jar <laughs> i'm gonna mark it down you owe me a dollar right <laughs> you know maria i've noticed a pattern in myself and i'm curious if first off you find this pattern in yourself and if you think it applies to the larger society as a whole. And that pattern I've seen in myself is that the internal dialogue I have, like, I, like if I get really harsh with myself and I say, come on, come on, you knucklehead, get up and let's go. But the language I use inside my mind tends to be the way I see the world and I treat other people. And I think so much of that, like the, the, the problems we see is, is, is something that's going on in our own head. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. You know, the world is what we project. Yeah. We live through that lens, and that lens is what we know about oneself, right? How we treat that oneself. Yeah. Do we have relationships with that mm -hmm. self? Do we see that now I act as a child, I need to be more an adult or parent, or now it's time to say yes, girl, I need to die. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, so absolutely the way you treat your own, you know, person, soul, if you wish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the way you see the world. It's interesting to me because I, I feel in my own life and so many of the people I've talked to, and I come from a, I come from a, a large family where there's a lot of mental health problems from suicide to drug addiction. And I tell that to you, not to impress you, but to impress upon you that I think fear is something that is the real epidemic. Like all of us are so frightened by hearing voices or so frightened to become our authentic self or fear of scarcity. And like, I think that that's gotta be another component, right? Absolutely. And to a certain point, you know, that's very basic fear, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm sure a big part of the country is fearing and really being concerned about how they will pay their bills. Yeah. You know, that very simple idea of biological survival, it what brings a lot of fear and into the group subconsciousness as well. That thing, you know, and then there is a thing of overall, you know, um, other matters like, am I successful? Will I, you know, I don't know, get the career I want or the marriage I want? And it's that anxiety, and you know, that the most popular diagnosis now, anxiety, and it stems from fear, absolutely. And again, you know, that's one of the basic emotions that we have and that actually serve us. Mm -hmm. But I've came a very long way from mm -hmm. just being completely diluted as a personality by fear to somewhere where I hope, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing much better, 
Yes. And it's a lot of work. It's just a lot of hard work. How do you like that? Perhaps you could share with myself and some other people how you diluted that fear. Do you have some techniques that you use to try and stand in front of fear or confront it? <sighs> the answer would be <laughs> really uh, because I've tried a lot of things. I have been, you know, the regular therapy. Well, first of all, I had quite a challenging time in my life. Mm. Um, we moved here to United States from Switzerland when I was pregnant with my second child, and my first one was still in diapers. Mm. I almost died when I gave birth to my second son. My second son has special needs. You know, he was born with a genetic disease that we were dealing with, and it's not, you know, it, it, it is just difficult and takes a lot sure. of resources. Um, and then he has been diagnosed with ADHD, and then I mm. went through divorce. Mm. And then I wasn't able to find a job for a while. And it was, you know, it was really too much. So no wonder I was, yeah, I was in a very dark place. And I walked you know, all walks of therapies, um, practices, spiritual, pure psychotherapeutic, pardon me, um, and psychedelics too. Mm. Yeah, I have... I believe that, you know, that it's something that works. I'm very practical about it. Yeah. Whatever it is, it works. Okay, let's do it, please. Let's, let's just... I do. I, I think that one of the one of the issues that I see is, you know, the current medical model seems to be like a band-aid or it'll it'll give us the ability to make it one more day. And sometimes it seems to me it's like a mask that you could put on. You could put a shiny coat of paint on this trauma that you have. You can dress it up into a nice shape and think it looks cool. However, Psychedelics force you to be confronted with it. Almost see you, almost see your trauma or your experience in a third-person point of view, and it's it's something that allows you to face it. And in that confrontation, you are able to find ways to mitigate it. You know, and it's it it comes back to this idea of fear. When we stand in front of it, we understand that it's an issue that we can work with. It's not something to run from. It's it's a fascinating concept to work. I. For me, I, I'm a big fan of psilocybin mushrooms and lately like LSD that has really helped me understand how to create better relationships in my life. It's been very therapeutic in helping me understand that I have one life and I have people that count on me and love me and I should do the very best that I can to make sure that I'm a beaming example for them even though I'm far from perfect. You had mentioned earlier that it helped you in your traumas. What? Can, maybe you could share a little bit more about that if, if, if you're okay with that. Yes, absolutely. But can I ask you a question first? Yeah, of course, please. Sure. So you've mentioned that after the you know experience with psychedelic, you realized that we you have one life. I mean, I know yeah. your point was about yeah. one life, so you really need you know to treat others yes. and enjoy this life and really leave it. Do you think we have one life? No, I, my my philosophy is that you don't come into this world, you come out of it and that you, the earth grows people like an apple tree grows apples. And so I think that, 
Yeah, right. I think that we're part of it. And I've never heard about idea. this. Yeah, well, I would love to hear more. What okay. do you mean growth? People like the Apple growth. Uh, Apple. Okay, so if we, if we say that, I there's another there's another philosophical statement that I'm going to try to start broad and I'll try to narrow it down. And it's like, as above, so below. You have mentioned fractals earlier. And I believe that you can find the answer to your life, to your problems by looking at nature. I'll give you an example. I was outside and I have this, uh, I have this psychotropia of Aretas tree, which is one of the plants in which you use to grow ayahuasca. And all the leaves were being scaled by ants. And for those who may not be familiar with gardening technology or terminology, the ants crawl up the little stem and then they, they suck out all the nutrients of the leaves and they, they eat up all the leaves in the garden. And as I was standing out there checking out the plan and trying to figure out what's going on, I noticed that there's all these little entities that were sort of taking away the life of the plant in some way. And as I thought about it, I started thinking about all the thoughts in my head and how they were taking away from me. I'm like, you know, I'm spending so much time on all these little things and they're eating me up the same way these ants are eating up this plant. And it's not something I learned in school. It's not something I learned from a book. It's something that I sat out in nature and was revealed to me. And so when I say that the earth grows people the way that a apple tree grows apples. I believe that all of us here for this particular part of our life are, you know, are sort of a flower being ready to bud. We're sort of a seed that's growing into something else. And if you see these changes that happen in your life, you can see it that way. I'm at a vegetative stage. I'm at a fruiting stage right now. And I think that this is where we should get in. I mean, for me, when I go continue to go down my theory, it's this absence of rituals. It is this absence of rites of passage that has stopped people from understanding that we're more than a race from the grave from, from the hospital to the graveyard. So that's what I mean by that. Does that kind of make sense? That's an interesting metaphor. I would love to give it more thought. Mm -hmm. I mean, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. It's just um... what about you? What do you what's your do you think we are what what's your do we have one life? Oh no, no, no. <laughs> I don't think so. You know what? I'm also a religious person, I'm not 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 very very religious, right. but I certainly you know I have a God. I know the way He looks right. like and uh, how to build a relationship with Him, or at least I hope so. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I don't think we have one life. I mean, I do believe in the concept of the soul and reincarnation, and mm -hmm. that we're here to learn. And all my experience is just showing me exactly this. <laughs> because you know what? I always yeah. uh, dreamt about the moment that we often see in a movie, you know, kind of cliche, or in a very deep conversations like this one, yeah. uh, when the character is saying, all of those challenges made me who I am now, right. you know. And uh, this adverse experience um, literally, you know, shaped me and um, made me different. And, there was so much personal growth. And when I'm looking back, you know, I don't know, seven years ago, maybe, to compare who I am today with who I was seven years ago, mm -hmm. I realized that I'm so much kinder. I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are other changes, of course, you know, some maturity and uh, something else. 
but the main you know avenue of all the changes to the right there in in the space of kindness and it's not that sentimental feeling um which is like i love everyone more thoughtful mm. kind of you know walking in others shoes when i need it of course not all the time. I'm not sure if I uh, responded yeah. to that question. It's beautiful. <laughs> you know, let me ask you, like, yeah. when I say the word awful, what do you think of? Honestly, uh, to me, it sounds a little bit dirty mm. and something that I don't want to touch. Mm. That's, that's how I feel it, sense it. Of course, you know, it's just a word and we use it widely or not widely. Mm -hmm. But in, on the level of feeling the word, it's something you know, I don't want to no deal with it. I, ideally, I have yeah. to. Maybe. I had almost the exact same feeling about it until I recently spoke with this medieval, a scholar of medieval mystics. And we began looking at some of the Christian mysticism. And he, when he explained Richard Roll, who's a, an early mystic in the Christian church, he talked about some of his writings as awful. And he made sure to denote, like, he's like, I mean that in the true sense of the word, like full of awe. And I started thinking about that term, like, wow, something that, that is awful is something that you stand in the presence of and, and are filled with awe. Like, whoa. And it changed, like for me, it, it really helped me Take a moment to see spirituality in a different shade or with a different shadow below it. And it, it's so strange that we can take this word that used to be something that defined our spiritual nature and it became almost dirty in a way. And so many people today, I think it reflects so much of the mental illness that we have. Like we have turned this idea of spirituality on its head, even the language in there. And so many people today are afraid to share that they they see this God or they see the earth as an apple tree, you know, or whatever it is that we, whatever our idea of something bigger than us is, it's almost like, hey, don't talk about that. Or we're not, I might think you're silly or something like that. And I think that this is another part which leads to the moral decay and the problem of mental illness is that we have, the, this, we have this almost shameful relationship to religion and spirituality. It, it, is, is that make sense or my what, what do you think do you, have you noticed that in, in some of the things that are happening i mean it sounds a little bit wild but i think yeah. it's just the way you put it mm -hmm. uh however i do agree with the idea that's something you know very important and what you said is i also think that our mental you know illnesses tragedies epidemic stems from moral decay mm. and from yeah. morality being so transformed in our society now no i mean we live in a don't get me wrong don't get me wrong <laughs> we lived in a blessed time right. we lived in a bla blessed you know space amazing people i'm so blessed i enjoy each and every minute of my life every day try to do it at least mm -hmm. when i'm not so um yet i don't think that other than you know some major cities, clusters like Bay Area, mm -hmm. and maybe Ukraine now, we have mm -hmm. a vision of a future as a society. 
right? Space, yes. That's the only one idea that kind of, you know, makes that string basically into the future, but there should be more be beads on that string. Mm. I so agree. Morality, yes, in a way. And again, that stems because of, of I think it stems because of, of the, um, you know, the level of pressure too, of what we live in. Yeah, I think, I do think that there is this lack of shared vision and shared sacrifice. And maybe that's part of the foundation on which we build morality. You know, and spirituality on some level gives us that. It brings into our conversation the word sacrifice or surrender, depending on which one people like to use more. And you don't, you, we see it a lot in the psychedelic arena, this word surrender, the idea of sacrifice, the idea of learning from tragedy. And maybe that's why psychedelics are sort of at the forefront right now of helping people with mental illness. What do you, what do you think about the word surrender and sacrifice and what, how it can be used to make our lives a little bit more beautiful? I mean, this is a great question. Thank you. Um, as you know, all the questions before. We really enjoy this conversation very much. I wouldn't say that we don't have enough shared shared vision and um, sacrifice. I think this country was built on the principles of you know shared sacrifice. Mm. Um, but and there is idea, you know, of what we are society doing, surrendering. Um, I just think we also need to learn it in our everyday practices. You know, I need, I think there should be so much more education. Mm. Now, again, we're blessed, you know, they talk about recognizing one's emotions uh, in elementary school. Not sure yeah. about you, I haven't had nothing like that. Mm. <laughs> um, so that's why I'm saying that we live in a blessed times. Ideally, yes, of course, we all should have, you know, more understanding of all those ideas, including surrendering. And ideally, mm. you know, this is something that should be taught, not if not in a public education, then in the family or in the church, in any spiritual kind of, you know, related organization or in uh, appointments with your therapist. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I When I think about communication, I think that that is something that is so pivotal. And the better you become at communicating, the better you can see the problems in your life, the better you can begin to find tools to help make your life better, the better you can have foresight for the future. And on some level, where do you think is the biggest problem in building relationships? Is it communication? And if so, does it happen at a young age or is it, is it something that happens at an older age? I know that's kind of a mouthful, but I guess, I guess the, the idea of communicating. Like, where, how do well, we I understand your that? question. Okay, thank you. I understand your question, no worries. I mean, um, 
communication stems from awareness. Mm, and I realized that well I uh, say word stems a lot today, mm -hmm. but that's how I see, you know, the world. Yeah. Everything has a root, a reason. Like an apple tree and the people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you do see it my way. I knew it, Maria. No, 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 not necessarily. <laughs> I didn't think so yet. Let her fan. Um, so awareness. Mm. And again, ideally, we should be taught it from a very young age and bless those of us who had aware parents. Parents who were aware of themselves and you know, others. Yeah, it's a great point. And it, it seems to me that a lot of the times I came from a broken home. My parents got divorced when I was, I think, 11. My dad had, was bipolar. And my mom was the oldest of eight. And there was a lot of mental problems back then where, you know, I probably have some cousins that are on the spectrum, but where I came from, we didn't, that was just your cousin. He was just this way. That was your uncle. He was just this way. He didn't go to a doctor to, to get certain types of, of medication or things like that. They didn't know. And so on some level, when I saw my parents have somewhat of a, a very interesting divorce and I moved back and forth between my parents and there was a lot of things that happened. And while I didn't thoroughly understand how to process it, as I grew older in life, I think it gave me a unique ability to see those symptoms in other people. And the reason I bring this up is on some level, I think it's the tragedies that we face as younger people that give us the ability to help younger versions of ourselves. And so maybe, maybe that's, that's the way, maybe it's these tragedies, these things in our life that we think are so awful that we have to overcome later that really give us the gifts that we need to help other people. What do you think? Yes, a great point. I also see a similar way. I think that another, if not the reason, but the byproduct of mm -hmm. our suffering is that we're able to help others. I mean, the idea of being of service, it is all very practical. Right. You just, some... At some point in your life, you come to the point like, I'm so suffering, <laughs> suffering so much, and I need to do something. And you discover that if you do something for others, if you are of service, if you help whomever in whatever form or shape, you will just feel better. <laughs> yeah. I agree 100% with that. It, when I, and, and if I continue to think about that for a moment, and I think about how these things that happen to us can become some of our greatest gifts. It's, it, it is interesting to think about how it's practical, but we have these emotions that are just in us and they, they I, I don't know. Let me, let me put it this way. I'm gonna try to rephrase it in a frame that is a more palatable question. I think these things speak to generational trauma. It's been really helpful to me and other people that I know to see the way they've acted in life and then understand that there's a pattern. Hey, my grandfather did something like this. My mom did something like this. And all of a sudden, it kind of takes away that pressure of you having a problem and understand that it's something you're fixing in your life. And for me, one of the aha moments was like, hey, if I fix this, then my kid doesn't have to. And there's something really, really beautiful and powerful and almost poetic about that. What do you think? Oh, I think that everyone... <laughs> who stopped carrying on a part of the, you know, 
transgenerational trauma, all those patterns, family, culture, group, all of that sort. If you can take a little piece of it and then pass it on, you're doing your best already. (laughs) Uh, There is always more, of course, but yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. In some ways, like, are you, one of my favorite psychedelics is mushrooms and it, it seems to come on in this form of waves, right? Where like, you, there's like a come up to it and then it subsides and then it comes up again and then it subsides and then it comes up right for the peak. And like, that's when you have like, wow, I feel as if I can see the magnetic waves that are coming from my cat, you know, or, you know, you have these different heightened states of awareness during the peak of that. And I'm wondering, it, do you see that being a pattern in our lives? Like we, we come up and then we subside. It seems like the, the, whether it's a high tide and a low tide, so too do we breathe in and out. And so too is that feeling of heightened states of awareness we can get from psychedelics. Do you think there's a pattern there or am I kind of like making that one up a little bit? You were making something up, that's for, for sure. sure. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but I think I understand your idea. And here I just want to say a couple of words, uh, you know, about psychedelics overall. Yeah. I mean, within our community, we all understand what we're talking about, right? Right. Substances. Right. Uh, sacred plants, um, antheogens, mm-hmm. psychedelics, uh, medicine. When I collected all the words, just brought them down, you know, uh, molecules. <laughs> they were 12, you know, words for the same thing that we're all describing. (sighs) About, you know, uh, waves and rises and psychedelics. Psychedelic meaning mind manifesting, right? Mm -hmm. We all know it. Um, And forget that it's a state that you can also get with holotropic breathing or Mm -hmm. that very deep awareness conversation that you and me are having right now. That's also very psychedelic. I mean, waves and rises. Yes, there is always, I think, you know, some kind of a frequency. Waves and rises. I love that word frequency. It seems that there's a lot that can be revealed to us if we're on the right frequency. (laughs) what do you think of when you think of frequency maria i don't know to me it's the same word awareness again Mm. when you're aware that's the right frequency Mm. if you're in the right frequency it should be getting better, maybe a little yeah. by little, but it will get better. Absolutely. I love the idea of awareness. It seems to me that when you become more aware, then you understand your surroundings better. How Do you have any tips or tricks or in your life, how is it that you have found to sort of become more aware? Can you ask me this question in a different way? Of course course I can. 
it seems to me that in in life we find ourselves getting into patterns. For me, it used to be get up, make breakfast for my family, drop my kid off at school, go to work for 12 hours, come home, get up and do it again. But there came a time and it was through psychedelics that I became aware that this sinking feeling of despair inside of me was not because the world didn't like me, not because not because of any ill thing, but because of me. I became aware that I was the person that was causing the problems in my life. But it didn't, like, it's something that kind of built up inside me, this awareness, this, this sort of thing. And what I, I believe that whether it was age or whether it was plant medicine or maybe it was the two of them together, but it was a combination of those two things that made me more aware of my situation. Maybe, maybe it's just being here long enough to understand there's a problem. But for me, it was, I think, time, communication, and psychedelics that made me more aware of what was happening. So uh, was there something that made you more aware of, of, of where you want to yes, be in your life yes. and the direction? Yes, yes. I think I mentioned that, that, you know, I yeah. have been working on my mental health for quite yeah. some time. And I named, you know, a couple of tools and modalities. Yeah. And of course, I mentioned psychedelics. I mean, again, it's pure science, you know, brain neuroplasticity, just the way it works. Come on. <laughs> or at least, you know, again, effectiveness in different groups, you know, still. And again, I have so much hope for it. I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to, you know, studies on ADHD mm -hmm. because I know from anecdot anecdotal evidence that it's working. I yeah. would love to, you know, see someone working on this uh, issue um, or chronic pain mm -hmm. anti-inflammatory asthma yeah i know there is a company that's working on you know something that potentially might cure sickness not in mental health though mm -hmm. um, an illness that we weren't able to cure before like, you know, now in the world, there are several types of things. That yeah. Are, there is no cure. There is treatment. You know, that one company is working on a potential, you know, solution. Yeah. And molecular to make it happen. That That's so amazing. You know, I hear and see things every day. I meet amazing people who are working. Of all the startup, you know, cliches. <laughs> making the world a better place. Mm -hmm. I think that's the one that really illustrates it the best. And that's why, again, it makes me sad to see um, not to see so much unity in the psychedelic ecosystem, let me put it this way. I think there should be more. Yeah, I agree. I Often there seems to be this wedge between science and spirituality. One of them sort of turning their head up towards the other. And it, it often baffles me. Like when, sometimes when I look at the world of science and I see so many great people desperately trying to create these medicines that will help people. I don't thoroughly understand why we need to extract a certain molecule and find out exactly what it does in the brain. You know, when I've, I've spoken to some really intelligent researchers and it seems to me that 
even though we have terms like neuroplasticity and we've learned about the 5H2A receptor, we don't really know that much, but we do know it works. We do know it's worked for hundreds of years. And I, I just don't understand this sort of gatekeeping. It's like the most, the most profound medicine in the world is a placebo, like that we know that works. But, and here we have this other element that works. Like, why don't we use it? I mean, are you asking me a literal question? Why? You want to listen to I'm what I think? for your thoughts. I know that there's no real answer. And so I'm kind of throwing it out in a way in which you could respond however you like. No, it's okay, though. I want to address something that yeah, you said please. earlier about science and spirituality and sure. you know, that idea of competition between them. Mm -hmm. A, we keep forgetting the science actually, you know, came up from church. Yes. That was church, yeah. you know, who yeah. wanted to make something out mm -hmm. of nature around us, let's put, it this, let's put it this way. And I was looking for that intersection too, you know, for a very long time. And I think that this is the place and the space. And again, it's all, of course, you know, about oneself and our positions and the way we carry ourselves in the world. But overall, this field, I think it has the best minds, hearts, and souls of uh, maybe of the nation no not yeah. our nation but you know i think you know what i'm saying um, i do i agree a lot of generations you know fatima he mm. wrote his first paper on microdosing in 1966 i mean i know those are just more facts and uh, history and probably everyone knows it mm -hmm. but it's still so amazing you know all the work that they've done yeah. what we are having now it's just because of them we stand with literally we're standing on their shoulders on the giant's shoulders so much respect i have for everyone there yeah well done on another you know frequency let's put it <laughs> maybe not as much in another but uh, yes those figures or what Rick Doblin has been doing for 30 years, 35 at this point. Mm -hmm. This is unbelievable. Yeah. It is. It's another aspect that I really enjoy watching is it's sort of the way in which we can learn from not only the people in this particular community in the West, but how seeing the way in which traditional plant medicine has been used in other countries around the world. And in some sort of ways, it's almost like we're seeing the reunification of spirituality and science. It's almost like we're understanding that they're mirror images of each other. They're opposite sides of the same coin. And there's something really peaceful about standing there and seeing like, whoa, this, these people are helping the same way these people are helping. And this I do think it's a sort of coming together there. I guess, I guess a question would be, what are some things that you're excited to see about on both sides of the fence, whether it's through the science side and through the spirituality side? Well, I don't think I will be original, but I would like to see them coming together yeah, solidly. Yeah, right. That's it. Is and that what you saw? Second? Being oh, able to see the products of it. Mm. You know, whatever they are, if they are ideas, if they are different societal form, if they are culture, if they are, you know, I don't know, everyday products. 
space taxes and all that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I, I, I like to think that the society, the community, is a direct reflection of the substances we take into our bodies. And if we look at the last hundred years, our world, or at least in the West, being run on this sort of fuel of alcohol. I guess I could even say, maybe we're a reflection of the drugs that we do. And I don't mean that word as a pejorative. I mean that as substances we take. And so I, thought we, I think we got to see a glimpse of what the world could be in the late 50s and early 60s. Like there was this epidemic of creativity there was all of a sudden all this love everywhere. And then it was not everywhere. Was, <laughs> you're right, not everywhere. I I still I tend to speak in sweeping generalizations and I'm working on that because I do that sometimes. It seems to me that there was a sort of outbreak of love and creativity. And there's a correlation with the substances we're doing. And I'm hopeful. And I think that we can see this happening again you got an up close look at it when you went to psychedelic science 2023 did you see sort of a a community that's running on a different substance or what do you think about that idea um i saw a community that is running on the same spirit if we're talking about spirituality that's well said well said that's the magic of it you know mm -hmm. Everyone has a choice. Everyone has their own preferences. Mm -hmm. Everyone has what works for them. Stacking, you know, for everything from microdosing, yeah. literally taking it one, what's what, one tenth of the journey dose. One tenth? Or no, I think it's more. To, I don't know, stacking mm -hmm. different substances. The whole spectrum is there. And that's what I think unites the uh, community. And again, you know, yes, substances do change our bodies, souls, minds. Um, we, we should be aware of what we put on in our body, mm -hmm. but you know, it comes in all sorts of shapes. Salt, mm -hmm. for some people, you know, meat, vegetarians mm -hmm. eat meat because precisely because of that. Um, coffee changes your consciousness and lots of things. Yeah. What is your relationship, Maria, with psychedelics? If you don't, I mean, you don't have to tell me, but I'm curious, is that something that you've used once or twice or are you on the, the Fatiman protocol or the Stamens protocol? Or? Um, I have done a couple of journeys lately. I'm also doing ketamine therapy with Mind Bloom. Mm. Um, I have been microdosing on ayahuasca for a couple of months and mm -hmm. now I'm changing it, stems protocol, to a very special strain of psilocybin. Mm. Psilocybin, excuse me. <laughs> I don't know if I answered your question. I think I did, right? Of course, of course. It's. Do you find that one of them you know, I often keep a journal and I write down my relationship with, with psychedelics has been for a while, mostly mushrooms, but I recently switched to an analog of LSD called F-LAD. And I was, I was experimenting with different dosages and the ideas of, I wanted to test out if there was really 
a tolerance level and what that tolerance level was like for me because we're so individualized. And so I went on where I was doing it every day, like, like a, a micro dose, somewhere between a micro dose and like a museum dose. And it's, it's, it's interesting because for me, this particular protocol, this, this experiment that I've recently done with FLAD has really helped me deal with some anxiety. It's really helped me see things in a way that was unique. And what I mean by that is it helped my relationship with fear. It helped me communicate better. I really think that psychedelics help you with language in a way that is almost undescribable. The ability to recall words, the ability to explain what it is you're feeling. I think psychedelics have a real way of getting their arms around that. And maybe that gets back to this idea of communication. So I just wanted to share my experience that I have my relationship that I've been working with them. And since we're on that vein, have you noticed your ability? What, what Have you noticed that there is an intense relationship between psychedelics and language? Well, we've already spoken about that. There is a correlation of right. awareness, language, and psychedelics. Mm -hmm. Those th three live together. I mean, and again, psychedelics is not a silver bullet, right? There are always people who do not respond to substances, you know, even recent uh, map studies. There is so much different topics that are challenging for particular groups or, you know, communities. There is so much work to do. It's not all, you know, rainbows and unicorns. That's And that's completely normal for, you know, queer kind of a uh, young industry, if it's not young, I mean, psychedelic renaissance, what we call, still since 2015, maybe, right? Um, I think it was London uh, Imperial College who mm. published. Okay, don't want to go there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> enjoy this conversation so very much do you think there are some questions that we really really need to speak about to, to talk about um i can think of a bunch more I, I i guess where i was just going with language is is that maybe it is a silver bullet maybe it is a panacea like if i if i grab the dsm if I grab the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, it's Five. just a bunch of words in there. Five, yeah. It's just a bunch of words. How much of those particular ailments are factual? Like, it's all subjective. And I think people that take really high doses of psychedelics begin to understand that so much of our mental illness is the inner dialogue that we say to ourselves. Maybe, I know, I know, I know that this, is, this argument could probably be obliterated in plenty of ways, but I don't think it's okay to... I think there's a lot of pushback when people say it's not a panacea. Like maybe it is. Like where's the evidence that says it isn't? It's like that we're just leaving people out of clinical trials because we don't want the clinical trials to fail. Like we're not even testing it on people with bipolar disease. We're not testing it on people that have these crazy mental illnesses because we don't want those things to fail. What do you think? I know that's kind of a pushback, but what's your take on that? Um, of course, you know, when we're thinking about Serial, serious mental illnesses such as schizophrenia mm. or bipolar. Mm. There is a lot of, um, I don't want to say necessarily stigma, but actual common sense around those illnesses and psychedelics. Right. Right. Though I see more and more studies confirming that there is no such a thing as uh, in psychedelic induced psychosis. psychosis. Um, <clears throat> 
I don't know, such a wide topic. Yeah, I know. Love it, but yeah. Right. Maria, I really enjoy talking. I know we're kind of coming up on our hour, and I appreciate you being gracious with your time. I really am passionate about talking to people about it. So thank you for My taking pleasure. some time to be with me. Yeah. One one last thought, though. Uh, yeah, whatever. Yes, sure. Um, we need to do more work. We need yeah. to study the subject more. You know, we need to build relationships mm -hmm. with all of that. And there is a, a lot of work to do, which is normal. And there are, again, so many challenges, but it makes it so beautiful. <laughs> it's yeah. so true. It's so this. true. Maria, before I let you go, where can people find you? What do you have coming up and what are you excited about? Oh, people can find me on LinkedIn. That's for sure. Um, I keep my social private. Um, I'm very, very, very excited about one super cool startup with, you know, eight brilliant scientific advisors uh, working on the molecular for chronic pain treatment. Mm. We shall see. <laughs> and I'm very excited for the industry, you know, for everyone who's doing really you know, work there, everyone who's building companies, nonprofits, everyone who's investing in it, everyone who is studying it, all the academia, everyone everywhere from, you know, media to celebrities. This is so amazing. This is so beautiful. I just think we need more of that. It's really well said, and I couldn't agree anymore. I think we live in really exciting times, and we all, all of us in this space are, are very fortunate to be alive at the time we're at, and I, I hope everybody can find a way to become your most authentic self, and I think everybody should reach out to you if they want to learn more about what you're doing, Absolutely. and I had a fantastic conversation. I'm going to speak to you real briefly afterwards, but I'm going to hang up with the people, so ladies and gentlemen... Thank you so much for being here today, for spending time with myself and Maria. I hope you guys all have a beautiful day, and we'll be back tomorrow. That's all we got for today. Okay. Thank you. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that... I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. 
I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.